This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by EPFR's in-house economist, Cameron Brandt, and we're going to walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the various data sets EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll be looking out for in the week ahead. Cam, good morning. Uh, I think we had a lot happening last week, so what are maybe the three main areas that we're going to be focusing on today? Yes, last week was noisy, but without perhaps the, the sort of stark standalone theme that has been emerging uh, frequently in previous weeks so far this year. Um, I think the three that sort of really caught my eye uh, were the record setting outflows from um, money market funds, uh, the shift in sentiment towards China which is good for China dedicated funds, but is, uh, I think, revealing other stress points in the emerging markets universe. Um, and the uh, some of the uh, fruits that uh, the UK's Brexit are delivering uh, to that country's doorstep. All right. Let's start with money market funds. Another week, another record setting flow, this time an outflow. What's going on there? Is there anything that you would point out or are the numbers just pointing towards uh, broad sentiment for the market? Uh, yeah, no, it's quite it's sort of a fair amount going on underneath the headline number. Uh, I'll get rid of the easiest uh, uh, part of the explanation, which is that uh, uh, Wednesday was the uh, re pandemic revised deadline for filing taxes in the U.S., uh, and we usually see at least one large outflow ahead of the the, the main uh, tax deadline. That's usually in mid-April. Uh, so I certainly think that had a role to play. But I also think that uh, you know, we have been seeing a trend now for some time of money beginning to move out of these funds uh, in search of opportunity now that at least some of the world's markets are showing signs of recovery. Um, the other thing chasing money out of them, frankly, is that yields are, are now really pinned uh, to the floor. Um, research by our sister company, iMoneyNet, uh, indicates that the average 30-day yield on a taxable U.S. money market fund is now down, uh, God, around six basis points, uh, which isn't a powerful incentive uh, for people to keep their money there if they can find alternatives. Um, there are, I think, going to be some uh, implications from this in the wider market in that uh, the money market funds that we track, certainly the U.S. ones, have been uh, probably the major buyer uh, of the uh, treasury issuance at the short end of the curve. Uh, and uh, as you know, that has accelerated dramatically uh, in recent months uh, as tax revenues uh, get crimped by the pandemic measures uh, and government spending uh, to combat the economic impact of the pandemic ramps up. So on the other end of the spectrum, I think we really can point to, and this was your second point, 
the China bond story. I think we saw record-setting inflows into that market. Uh, seems like China's on a good trajectory. Would you agree? Um, I would, with with uh, plenty of caveats. Uh, I certainly thought that the exodus from China equity funds was somewhat overdone. There are certainly major geopolitical issues hovering around China at the moment and longstanding reservations about uh, the quality of their uh, economic data. Um, But in general, um, they did get on top of the pandemic earlier than most of their other competitors. Um, They, as usual, have a plan. It might not be the right plan long term, but it uh, I think certainly is fit for purpose in terms of getting the economy revved back up again. Um, And, uh, you know, even even when people were at their most leery, they wanted exposure to China. They just didn't want it to be very direct. So what we saw was people turning to uh, Taiwan equity funds, uh, Taiwan is pretty heavily embedded in the Chinese economy, but there's obviously a political distance uh, and a backup positive story in Taiwan's uh, place in the global uh, technology uh, sector story. So if China is the on the uh, positive trajectory and, and really looks like it's turning a corner here, are there any emerging markets that may not be looking so well or may be facing a bit more challenge? Yes, um, I think everyone has their candidate here, but two that we're watching pretty closely. Uh, one is Brazil uh, and the other is Turkey. Um, Brazil was already in a pretty bad place economically when the pandemic hit um, and their uh, the response such as it has been from uh, Jair Bolsonaro's uh, administration uh, has done the country few favors, certainly in the eyes of of, uh, international investors. Um, Plus it is a uh, still uh, largely a commodity story uh, and with the rest of the world, you know, limping along at reduced rates, uh, and energy prices down, commodity prices down. Um, you know, it's under pressure from a number of fronts. Um, furthermore, Brazil was the one remaining reform story in the emerging markets universe coming into the pandemic. Um, and uh, investors, we have noticed over the years, tend to chase those reform stories very aggressively, uh, but act uh, with considerable bitterness when they realize that uh, they aren't going to be fulfilled or they've run their course. So I think uh, I think Brazil is going to come under uh, even more pressure than it uh, already is under. Uh, and Turkey uh, definitely seems to have all the ingredients uh, of an emerging markets road crash. Uh, you know, it won't be the first time that uh, it has sort of skidded off the rails. Um, but the strong nationalist streak in uh, the Erdogan administration's policy making um, has sort of put 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 it at risk of being pushed down to frontier market status, um, and and uh, you know, it's generally struggling uh, based on all of the. Uh, 
key metrics that you watch for 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 uh, trouble ahead. Uh, the reason I mentioned Turkey, because you could certainly put forward some other candidates like uh, South Africa or Mexico, uh, is that uh, Turkey remains a key ingredient uh, of the uh, sort of political dynamics in, in Europe proper. It is still damming up a huge number of uh, refugees from uh, the Syrian civil war that when they were flooding relatively unchecked into Europe ha had a major effect on, on the politics there and the rise of populism. So speaking of Europe, I think the, and this is something you and I have discussed briefly, uh, do you think the UK in this moment is looking back and and perhaps regretting a bit of the timing of Brexit now that we have a bit of stimulus coming out of the EU and and they're really not in line to to get that. I mean, what what what's your take on on the UK and their mindset around the timing of their their uh, their longstanding Brexit? Um, well, I think uh, I think you're right in that sort of looking from several thousand feet as we we do at least initially with fund flows. Um, there might well be a case for pause for thought there. Um, with uh, Europe circling the wagons and, and at least showing some signs of coming up with a, a common approach to sort of stabilizing and rebuilding uh, their economies, um, sentiment towards continental Europe has improved sharply uh, in recent months. Uh, while the UK, uh, which has a pretty sort of checkered uh, pandemic containment story anyhow, um, finds itself sort of outside uh, the, uh, uh, any rescue measures that uh, the EU does manage to come up with. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the recovery such as they are on either sides of the English Channel uh, seem to be sort of slightly favoring uh, continental Europe over the UK, which is certainly not the narrative. Now, now longer term, I think you can still make the case that uh, given that uh, I think most of us feel we're going to be in a somewhat uncertain world uh, for the next uh, decade, um, with all the sort of post-pandemic aftershocks, um, that uh, ha having the flexibility uh, and the ability to respond uh, with really only your national interest uh, in focus uh, may well prove to be a strength. So in the short term, yes, uh, some of the bills for the UK's decision do seem to be coming uh, due, but longer term, I would hesitate to say that it, it proves be Brexit was a mistake. So, Cam, I know you and the team have been doing quite a few uh, webinars and and panels recently and have talked a lot about the various topics that you're focusing on. So if, if our listeners have yet to participate in one of those webinars, I certainly would encourage them to do so. You can find more on our website. Uh, over the next week, what are three of the main topics that you and the team are going to be focusing on? Um, well, one of them does circle back to the webinars. We will be giving a webinar towards the end of next week, uh, looking at uh, events and trends uh, from a central bank perspective. 
uh, we'll be joined by a, a speaker from the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Um, and you know that will be fairly wide ranging, but uh, it, it forces us to think about uh, some of the regulatory issues they may face, uh, how stable are the markets they're trying to stay on top of, uh, which tools that they've deployed uh, have actually sort of had a positive effect, certainly on fund flows. Um, and sort of somewhat tied to that, we're continuing to sort of focus on uh, a fragile but certainly measurable recovery in retail investor appetite uh, for some fund groups. Um, retail investors have been you know, largely absent uh, from many groups uh, over the past three or four years. Um, but in, since the pandemic, we've been seeing more retail flows into a number of equity fund groups and some of the riskier fixed income groups, um, which, you know, poses uh, poses some interesting questions, uh, certainly over the next six months. Uh, that's a group that's historically seen as more volatile, more prone to sort of drive excessive sentiment swings. So, uh, you know, and I think it's something that the central banks are uh, keep keeping uh, an eye on. Um, and uh, last but not least, since it's earnings season, uh, we are sort of uh, paying attention to what's coming out and seeing uh, how, how it does or doesn't move the needle in our sector fund flows. Um, while most people question just how valuable the information is uh, in the current round uh, of earnings reports, I think the reaction does say some interesting stuff uh, about uh, people's short versus long-term views. Um, you know, certainly, as we said in previous podcasts, uh, there's no doubt that investors see information technology as uh, uh, one of the clear winners uh, on the other side of the pandemic uh, and flows there seem to be holding up. Um, but uh, what the future looks like for sectors such as industrials or consumer goods is, is, is much more nuanced. Uh, and so we're uh, uh, hoping that this earnings season will, will give us a few signals on that front. Thanks for your time today, Cam, and have a great week. Right. You too. Talk to you next week. As always, you can find EPFR on LinkedIn and on Twitter at EPFR. To sign up to receive our EPFR daily exchange research we spoke about here, you can visit financialintelligence.informa.com. For questions or to suggest a topic for an upcoming podcast, you can email EPFR exchange podcast at informa.com. <laughs>